I was thinking, you know, especially in light of last week, uh, the sermon, we can't just say we're thankful. Uh, giving thanks is meant to be directed to someone, right? You don't just say, I'm thankful. Well, who are you thanking? Who, who is the one that you're actually addressing? And that's why last week in First Thessalonians 1, 2, it says uh, to be always giving thanks to God, to God. And I couldn't help but just be reminded again last week, if you look at First Timothy 1, I'm sorry, Thessalonians 1, verse 2, Paul writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you. We give thanks to God always for all of you. I was challenging you to consider, do you thank God for every member of the church? Like when someone comes to mind, do you immediately just have negative thoughts? Or do you actually say, well, whatever the case might be, I'm going to thank God for them. Giving thanks is really an extension of worship. We recognize because of who God is and what he has done, everything should be something we consider uh, like a gift. Sometimes that gift is not exactly the way we would like it to be. But do you realize God has put every single person in your life for a purpose? And so you can thank him. We should give thanks for each and every member of the church, especially because we all share Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what unites us. That's what makes us family. You know, I have a pretty large extended family. I didn't get to choose who those family members are. Uh, we have a lot of drama in our family. And, and yet I thought, well, can I still give thanks to God for them, even though some of them might be difficult to love? Same way in terms of the church. You know, really will boil down to, do you show a thankful heart just generally as a person, as a Christian? Jerry Bridges writes, thankfulness to God is a recognition that God in his goodness and faithfulness has provided for us and cared for us both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon him, that all that we are have comes from God. There's maybe a little bit of a distinction. Gratitude would be the heart attitude, and then giving thanks is the action that flows out of that gratitude. R.C. Sproul writes, God doesn't want us just to feel gratitude, but for us to show it by giving thanks to God with our lives. You'll see this often in the Psalms. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 provide an example. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever, and his faithfulness generation unto generation. We talked about how it's not just individually, but collectively as a church. Can we say that our church, Lighthouse Bible Church LA, is marked by the giving of thanks? Because what that would show is that God is front and center at the church, that the greatest pursuit 
the chief end, as we say, the highest priority is that of God's glory. And if we really are seeking God's glory, we're going to give thanks for who he is, how he provides for his children, and the continual recognition that we are totally and completely dependent on him. I think there's something really about this that we should take more time to consider. A grateful and thankful church, if a church can be identified in this way, what it does, it reflects the identity we have in Christ. Now here's the thing about having gratitude or showing gratitude through thanksgiving. You can always keep giving thanks and you'll never have any deficit in being able to not do it anymore. Uh, A.W. Tozer says a little better. He says, Gratitude is an offering precious to the sight of God, and it is one that the poor of, poorest of us can make, and be not poor, but richer for having made it. You know, it's not like we have a limited capacity of giving thanks and then we kind of run out of it. You actually become richer for it. But if you look at it conversely, the lacking of giving thanks, that could make you spiritually poorer. It really is something that we should practice and cultivate as a character quality that honors the Lord each day. John MacArthur writes, Thanksgiving becomes a part of the fabric of our new life. It's the fruit of the grace of the work of the Spirit within us. This is how you know someone is really a Christian. This is how you know someone is walking in the Spirit. That you regularly see thanksgiving expressed in their life. Now the Thessalonian church mentioned this. They were quite the model church. We could say that they were an exemplary church because of the example that they were. Even in the infancy of their church life. They had only been around for a few months, but they already had established a reputation. Paul, Silas, and Timothy expressed their thanks as well as their prayers. And in First Thessalonians 1 7, it says that their testimony had already spread to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And not only that, the ministry of the word sounded not only to Macedonia, but even beyond. So their testimony was already spreading in just months. So Paul, having, uh, he is now in Corinth, it's maybe somewhere around a, you know, a few months to a year later, he's writing back to the church and he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul might have had a reason to be anxious. Why? Because he heard that there were challenges and he had to leave abruptly. But this is something that is very much a pattern for Paul. In fact, he writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So not only did Paul write those things, he practiced them himself. He prayed with thanksgiving. 
Now, thanksgiving and prayer go hand in hand. Think about this. Remember the last time you were grumbling and complaining? Maybe you had a critical heart towards someone. You're not going to be finding yourself praying during those times because it just isn't compatible. When you complain, you are not going to be thinking about praying to God. Charles Spurgeon writes, 10 minutes prayer is better than a year's murmuring. I mean, obviously, the grumbling, complaining heart is nothing new. But I don't know if we understand how destructive it is. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, if you take the time to read through the Old Testament, and that's something that sometimes people are very unfamiliar with, well, you're going to essentially just read about the history of Israel. There are other aspects as well. But you hear this, you read the story of Israel, and one of the things that the nation of Israel is known for was complaining. Uh, Turn to Numbers, chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, I'd like to say, Uh, That would be in the crispy part of your Bible, but some of you don't have an actual Bible. You have a a phone, so there's no crispy part of the phone. But it's probably an unfamiliar portion. Numbers 11.1 says this, Now the people became like those who complain of calamity in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So, What happened? There were Israelites who were complaining. How did God respond? He burned them. Now now just stop and think. Some people's immediate response would be, oh, that's harsh. I mean, why would God just burn them to a crisp just for complaining? And that's the problem. You You use the word just, complaining, as if complaining is a small deal. It's not a small deal. It's a huge deal. Because think of who you are complaining to. Do we just easily complain to God, grumble toward God, even question God? Spurgeon writes this, I'm greatly afraid that many professing Christians do not realize what a gross sin it is to complain. If you want to complain, you will soon have something to complain of. I thought that that's an interesting uh, comment there. If you want to complain, you will soon have something to complain of. Complaining just doesn't happen. Complaining happens because we want it to happen. Complaining is high treason against the king of kings. I mean, that's a strong word, treason. It's because you recognize who you're complaining toward, the high king of kings. Spurgeon also writes, Jesus wept, but Jesus never complained. Humanly speaking, Jesus had to deal with more difficult people, face more challenging circumstances, but we never see him complaining. It would have been sinful for him to do so, but I'm sure the weight and burden of the hardships he faced were still heavy. But we see in the gospel accounts that he would wake up early and go to the mountains to pray. 
And Spurgeon concludes this way, if we complain less and praise God more, we should be happier. You know, if we complained and grumble less and praise God more, what you will see then is thanksgiving and prayer increase, especially as a response to challenging situations. So last week we looked at the first part of verse 2. We're going to look at the second part of verse 2. We're going to probably touch a little bit of verse 3. I was hoping they go a little faster, but I got kind of hung up here because there's a lot to say. So first point, pray for your church. Pray for your church. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now remember again, it starts off with Paul, uh, Silas, also called Silvanus, and Timothy. We, he's saying we pray for all of you. We mention all of you in our prayers. It would be safe to say that they probably prayed not only alone, but together as they planted churches during the second missionary journey, and as they remembered the people they met. Now, Paul was known as a man of prayer. He understood his limitations. He could only physically be in one place at any time. But in prayer, he was able to minister to numerous churches as well as numerous individuals in each church. I mean, this is something that you see in Paul's writings. Turn to Romans chapter 1. And you'll see this pattern that's very similar to 1 Thessalonians 1. Romans 1, starting from verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Now the interesting thing about Romans is that he hadn't gone there yet. But he had already heard of the church. He has already heard their testimony. He already knows members of the church in Rome. So he says he thanks God through Jesus Christ for you all. He thanks God because of the faith of those in the church at Rome was being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Their testimony, similarly to the Thessalonian church, was already spreading. And again, he had not yet been there. But he is already praying for them. How without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now if you're wondering, did Paul actually mean pray for Specific individuals. Turn over to Romans chapter 17. Romans chapter 17. And this is the last chapter in Romans. What Paul does is he extends greetings to a church that he has not yet been to. Now he knows some of them. But but for the majority of them, he has only heard of them. Look at verse 1. Now I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is that Sencria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Think about the detail that Paul has just given there. He knows Phoebe. He's 
recommending, commending to the church at Rome that they receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, that they would receive her in the Lord because she was a benefactor. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They had served alongside him, so he knew them. And he says, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, and greet the church that is in their house. And if you keep going through Romans 17, you're going to see name after name. Eponidas, Mera, Andronic, Mary, Andronicus, Junia, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Apelles, Aristobulus, Herodian, Narcissus, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, Philologus, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, Olympus, and he mentions sisters and mothers and relatives. He mentions 27 people by name in addition to the households. Now this is a specific greeting, but how does he remember all these names? I mean, he didn't have a smartphone to keep all the info there. No doubt, Paul, as he thinks and remembers those that he has maybe not even met, he prays for them. And that's just Romans. And if you read other letters of Paul, he's addressing individuals. And he's not just talking about them. You must consider he prayed for them because he remembered who they were, their testimony for Christ. So I thought, how, how would we apply that at our church? Now, we currently have a total of 70 members, uh, formal members. We have those who are regular attenders as well. But just for the sake of example, if we have 70 members and you took time to pray for 10 members a day, that would be covered in a week. And if you prayed for each member one minute, okay, one minute, 60 seconds, I don't think that would kill anyone. Right? I mean, we waste 10 minutes just scrolling on our phones. Would you be willing to pray for each member of this church, 10 members a day? That would be, then we would pray for each member once a week, 52 times a year. Imagine if we all did that. How much of an increase would be would that be for our prayer ministry as a church in addition to the Monday prayer, in addition to the other times you might pray with your small groups or with individuals? I think that would be amazing. If we could each pray 10 minutes a day. I mean, if you think about that, it, it would be wonderful. We could be following then this example that Paul sets of making mention of each member by name to the Lord, giving thanks for them as well as praying for their spiritual growth. You know, the reason why I, I kind of stayed stuck on this portion, because I was very challenged that my prayer life is not what it should be either. You know, when I think of all of you as members of this church or as attenders, 
you know, certain th thoughts might come to mind. I mean, I'll use Andy as an example, okay? I mean, because we, we hang out, we, we work together. I think of Andy, and sometimes when I think of Andy, I'm like, Andy's funny. He makes me laugh. He, 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 he does help kind of keep my perspective a little bit lighter. And then if that's all I thought, okay, that's nice. But what I could have done for one minute is to say, as I think of Andy, thank you, God, for Andy. Thank you that we're fellow partners in the gospel. Thank you for his encouragement. Thank you for all that he does to serve the church. God, will you help him keep growing? God, will you continue to sharpen him as a tool for the gospel? God, can you encourage him with his family, with Carolyn, and his three very energetic kids? Okay, that wasn't even a minute. But I don't think that way normally. I just kind of go on to other stuff, like, oh, UCLA lost to Cal. Oh, my goodness. How embarrassing. Maybe I need to pray for them. <laughs> now, there are two examples of people that I know who are very prayerful people. One is my mom. When she became a Christian and we were in this very big home, living in this very big home, there was a closet in the living room behind, then there was a curtain covering it. So sometimes we'd be looking for my mom. Mom, where are you? We're looking, we're hungry, right? And after a while, we realized she was in her literal prayer closet. Because sometimes we'd go check in there and see her there. Oh, okay, sorry, mom. Because she was praying. And I know she prays for me regularly every day for members of the family. She joined the prayer ministry at Grace Church that meets on Monday mornings to pray for members of Grace Church that send in prayer requests. That's such an example. The second person is my mother-in-law, Angela's mom. She prays for the members of Angela's side of, family, uh, side of the family every day. Now, there are 31 total members so that means she prays for 30 people every day. And that's not the only people she prays for. When I think of how much they pray, do you think they're wasting their time praying? Or maybe do you think it's only because of their prayers that we are even at where we are? You know, we even have prayer apps. You can search for an app that'll help you pray, <laughs> help log your prayer requests and so forth. You know, I, I just think of Paul. He didn't have that luxury. He remembered people. In, in other words, he took the time to specifically keep remembering people and making mention of them in prayer. You see, I think if you make that a habit, then that'll be something that keeps growing. To be thanking God for people and to be praying for people always went hand in hand for Paul, and it should for us too. You see a similar greeting in Ephesians 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, 
do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying for the Ephesian church, for the members of that church as well. He is not ceasing in the giving of thanks. In Philemon, it's just one chapter, so it's verse 4. He's writing to Philemon. It's a short letter. And in verse 4, he says, I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers. In fact, turn there to Philemon. And this is a personal letter, okay? The the other letters, uh, well, Timothy, he writes, it's two personal letters. And Philemon is, and Titus as well. But Philemon is this very intimate letter to a fellow brother on behalf of one of his slaves that had run away and then had met Paul and gotten saved. Look at Philemon, starting from verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So notice he doesn't use his apostolic title here. And Timothy, our brother, Timothy's partnering him with him again, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. And similarly to 1 Thessalonians, he writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I mean, think about the spirit and heart in which he writes him. He remembers Philemon's love and the faith he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So this is a pretty consistent thing. When Paul writes in the opening address of his letters, there's a deliberate focus that the grace and peace that is being recognized as the basis for then giving thanks, for praying, for remembering. Again, Paul couldn't be in multiple places at the same time, but when he writes, he's able to minister to them by letting them know he thanks God for them and he prays for them. You know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were on this journey, this missionary journey, they didn't have a nice, neat schedule. In fact, they had to flee at times because of persecution. So this was not something that they could just keep some nice, tight schedule and do things when they wanted to plan to do it. Paul had to leave Thessalonica as well as Berea because of persecution. He must have longed to have had more time with those churches because they were just getting planted. They were just getting started. I mean, I've been church planting. I can't imagine planting a church and saying, sorry, got to go after a few months. It must have been disconcerting and truly challenging given given the circumstances because Paul had not been able to have a lot of time with them in Thessalonica. He didn't have the opportunity to invest and train up the leaders as much as he would have. He must have been concerned. You know, with the Ephesian church, he had three years. With the Thessalonian church, he maybe had less than three months. And then if you just kind of read through 1 Thessalonians, you'll know that there was affliction. Only a few months previous, these Thessalonians had been worshiping idols, but now they had turned to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
He wondered if the tempter had tempted them. He wondered if their ministry was in vain. That's why they sent Timothy to see how they were doing. They were dealing with the challenge of uh, pursuing sanctification, particularly regarding sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. He challenges them to excel still more in loving one another. He says, you do love each other, and we know that, but you need to keep loving each other even more. There were some who were getting lazy. They had to be challenged to lead a quiet life, attend to their own business, work with their own hands, and behave properly toward outsiders, and not be needy. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. There are some doctrinal issues. They had a misunderstanding of the second coming of Christ. They were worried about those who had already died. There were those who were grieving. They were confused. Chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 11. And these are all things we're going to be eventually getting to. There is a need to honor their leaders, to live in peace with each other. I mean, you can only imagine a young church, this is something that would be challenging for them. There were those who were unruly, faint-hearted, weak. Chapter 5, verse 14. So Paul encourages them to be patient with everyone. There were some who were repaying evil with evil. They were not seeking the good for one another and all the people. Chapter 5, verse 15. So there are challenges. There are issues that the church had already been facing in the short time since they had been planted. So there was much need for prayer. He's thankful for them, but he's praying for them. And he's praying for both the things that he remembers that are good. And we're going to look at that more next week. But he's also praying for them in light of all the things that he knows need to be addressed. I would say, you know, there's no competition with this. But when you think you've gone through trials and hardships and difficulties... How quick were you to respond to those things in prayer? I mean, I don't know about you, but when when hard things happen, I am inclined to complain, to grumble. Or to say, why, God? Why? God, uh, why are you making this so difficult? I'm blaming God. That's why that's kind of a serious deal to complain. Be careful about blaming God. I mean, do we really pray? We say we might pray, but do we really pray? You know, and just on a side note, um, I was having a conversation with a friend at the pastor's conference, and we are talking about Bible translations. And uh, he asked me the question, well, don't you think the New American Standard's a little wooden? I don't know if you've heard that, Okay. Uh, if any of you have heard of the New American Standard, you might go, well, I heard it's a wooden translation. I don't know. I grew up reading the New American. I didn't say anything wooden about it, but I hear a lot of people talk about it being wooden. So my question back was, have you actually read the Bible? I, I'm just that. I mean, have you read the Bible enough to say it's wooden? And then for people who, you know, this might be a little bit, you know, touchy, I challenge you to consider maybe changing a translation. You're like, oh no, I'm so used to the ESV. Now, certain people I know, 
Like Andy, I know. I mean, he has to preach from it. Okay. But my question would be, okay, do you really know the ESV? Have you read it? Have you read it so much that if you read another translation, you'd be like, oh, I'm struggling so much with this translation. I would highly question if you had thoroughly read it so much that you'd be able to see the distinction. Now, I only say that because sometimes I wonder, are you just kind of talking a game? Well, I don't know if I can change translations. When you actually haven't even read the Bible, much less do you pray. I mean, say we pray, but do we really pray? George Mueller, who was an incredible man of prayer. If you ever read his biography, it's amazing. He started all these orphanages in England, and he never once asked for money. And God provided for him over and over and over again. And he writes, never begin anything without going to God about it in prayer. And he really lived it. In fact, at some point, he had several thousand orphans that he was taking care of. And he was so dependent on donations for food. And there were instances where they sat the kids at the table. There was no food in their kitchen. But he would pray, God, we thank you for your provision of food. And just as they are finished praying, like a baker would come and he said, I, I slightly overburnt the bread. I can't sell it, but it's still edible. But uh, I thought of you guys. So here's bread for about 3,000 kids. I mean, just like that. And then the, the dairy guy came and said, oh, man, my cows, they, they gave a lot of milk. And I don't know what to do with it. So I thought of you guys. God was already answering the prayers as he was praying. Charles Spurgeon was someone who who went through many hardships in ministry, but also his health. His wife was an invalid. Henny writes, no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. If you think of someone in our church, like right now, think of someone would your first inclination be to pray for them or to complain about them? In fact, when you hear good news that someone has been blessed, do you rejoice with them? Do you literally say, God, I thank you for blessing my brother, for blessing my sister? And when you hear of difficult news, Do you then immediately say, God, I weep with the one who weeps? God, comfort them. You know, one of the things about social media is you get an opportunity to know what's going on in people's lives because that's what people do. They, They post what they're doing, right? And some people post blessings. And some people post... Grief. I mean, even last night I saw a picture of Conrad, Conrad and Biwi. Yeah, and, and his wife there at the grave of his son who died at 31 years old. And, I, and I, my heart just went out to him. I, I just got to talk with him this last March. I got to hear of his ministry. 
And I can't imagine the grief. Thank God his son knew Christ. So we know that he's in heaven, but there's still so much grief. Again, when you think of our church family, and you know people are going through difficulty, do you actually pray for them? Maybe you have people that are not easy to get along with. Do you pray for them? Maybe there are people who you don't even know. But you can still pray for them. Because there's so much that you can be praying for someone. If your complaint list is much longer than your prayer list, something's not right. That's why I think it's good for us to start with God. I thank you for this person, for this person, for this person in our church family. Name them by name. I was so convicted of this. Uh, As... I don't know what you guys do when you drive to church. Uh, if you just kind of like veg, just you drive like a zombie, or maybe you listen to maybe you listen to Christian music on Sundays. You know, some people are like, "Well, I should listen to Christian music on Sundays. I'll listen to whatever else on the rest of the week, but I'll listen to Christian." As if Sunday is the only day you should do that. As I was driving this morning, I thought, you know. I really need to practice what I preach. So I just started thinking of church people. And I was just trying to go through this this idea of God. Let me first start with thanking you for them. God, thank you. Thank you for this person. And God, as I'm thinking of them, as I'm remembering them, I want to pray for them. I love Charles Spurgeon, so you might hear me quote him a lot. But he writes this. Prayer is the master weapon. Not all could argue, but all could pray. Not all could be leaders, but all could be pleaders. Not all could be mighty in rhetoric, but all could be persistent in prayer. It is better to be eloquent with God than with men. Prayer links us with the eternal, the omnipotent, the infinite, and hence it is our chief resort. You know, as my daughter Olivia was driving away this morning, helped her pack and helped her weigh her suitcase and helped her get ready to go, and uh, I was sad. And uh, I was waving goodbye, and I thought, God, thank you. Oh, I'm so blessed this past week. Thank you for sending my daughter. Thank you for the rest of my daughters and son-in-law who were so generous to get her ticket. And God, thank you for just the blessing to see her face. Protect her, God. Help her as she goes back to pursue you to walk with you, to find good Christian friends. I felt so helpless. 
I cannot literally do anything for her because I'm not there. But I can pray to the one who is with her. I can pray to the one who can take care of her. I can pray to the one who will provide for her. Do you understand? That's why prayer is so important. It causes us to look to the one that can do what is needed in the life of another person. Can we pray that way? I'm so thankful for those of you who meet on Monday nights to pray for our church. Thank you for that. That is one of those behind-the-scene works that no one might see physically, but you are doing a mighty work. The second point, which we're not going to really get into until next week, which is pray to be the church. So pray for the church. Secondly, it would be to pray to be the church. And this would be going into verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before God and Father. When Paul thought about the Thessalonian church, he specifically remembers three things. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Now, again, we can always recognize that prayer is appropriate to address the challenges and needs that members of a church can have. But Paul gives us a good pattern to consider when we pray. Remember the work that God is doing. Remember the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. I've had the blessing and privilege to speak at other churches because I have other pastor friends. I don't remember all the names of all the people I get to meet. It's just there are so many people. But I remember who some of them are, like the lay elder at a church in San Jose that I got to meet that sat, that was standing next to me as a conflict blew up during the lunch hour at their church. And I thought, God, I need to pray for him as well as the pastor and his wife and his children to remember the work that you are doing through them, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the enduring steadfastness of hope in the midst of trouble and conflicts and hardships. God, thank you for the work that you're doing as I remember that. You might have friends at other churches. In fact, you might have come from a church that you had a bad experience. My first question would be this. Did you pray for them while you were there? And do you pray for them now that you're out of there? I mean, sure, there are a lot of problems. There are difficult people. And there are things that are necessary to address in that regard. But do we pray? It's hard to make it the first response. In fact, if we could say it this way, the first responders should be all of us, and our first response should be prayer. Whenever something happens at church, our first response 
All of us should be, let's pray. Let's pray. We're going to look at this more next week. But again, I thought of Paul and Silas and Timothy as it's only been months since they left Thessalonica. But already these three things stood out. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. So when he prays for them, he prays remembering that these things are the marks of the Thessalonian church. And so we're going to look at that more next Sunday. But I'll close with reading Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5. Because again, it is a similar passage to 1 Thessalonians 1. For Colossians 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also is constantly bearing fruit and multiplying just as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard and understood the grace of God. So again, you see there faith, love, and hope. He heard of that in the Colossian church. So he is praying always for them. He is giving thanks to God for them. This, this is such an important example and pattern for us to consider in our own prayer lives. Thank God for people. Pray for them. Recognize the work of faith, love, and hope that God has graciously started and is continuing in the lives of each member. Now, anytime we think about what Christians should be, we can't forget that there must be the consideration. Are you a Christian? Do you know Christ? You know, it, it was a heavy burden this past week as I have unbelieving family members on both sides. And we usually have a sharing time with uh, uh, Angela's side after the meal. And it's been a tradition where we give thanks. Uh, and I remember thinking, you know what, this year I, I just need to really make sure that the gospel is presented because there are people there that do not know Christ. It's very clear they don't know Christ. I love them, but they don't know Christ. Maybe there's some of you here, you've been to church maybe your whole life, or maybe you haven't much at all. But have you repented of your sins before a holy God? And have you bowed in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the one, he is the only one who has paid the penalty for sins and provides the gift of eternal life. You cannot afford to put that off. You know, that's the greatest burden I, I have in my heart, you know, even for my own daughter. 
I, I really just want her to know Christ. That's all. Only when we come to know Christ can we then grow in faith and love and hope. But we can't without knowing Christ, without loving Christ. I ask you to bow your heads as we prepare for communion.